Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our lead pastor, Dr. Phil Willingham. I'm glad that you are here. Glad you're joining us, man. Our North Judson, our Wanatal campus, our Full Throttle Biker Church. Listen, if you're ever going to be out on Sunday morning and uh, you still want to go to church, Thursday night, 6 o'clock, 805 South County Line Road, Hebron is our Full Throttle Biker Church. We have a service. We preach over there on Thursday nights. We'd love for you to join us. Hey, but you welcome all of our campuses. Come on, give them a good hand clap this morning. Let them know we're here today. We're awake this morning. I want you to take your Bibles and uh, turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. You got a worship guide. I want you to go there. We are in our questions that we're looking at this morning. Pastor Matt did an incredible job last week with, with the questions of, you know, do you love me more than these? How many understands it doesn't matter what the these are? but we have to love the Lord more than anything. Come on. How many understand? More than anything, right? Love the Lord God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and love him with your strength. And some of us are in that journey. Some of us are in that place where we're trying to, how how do we align our priorities? How do we make sure that God is truly number one in our life? This morning, we're going to look at the Old Testament story. Now, There's a lot of great stories in the Old Testament, a lot of stories that reveals the the power of God, the miracles of God, but also the faithfulness of God. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever gotten someplace, have have you ever ended up somewhere and then looked around and wondered, what what am I doing here? Come on, have you ever, some of you wondering that this morning, aren't you? What am I doing here? Uh, you know, you ever, you, ever, you ever been on autopilot mode as a person and you get in your car and you're driving and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're passing up landmarks and you get to where you're going and you don't even realize how you got there? Come on, anybody ever been there like that besides me or walked into a room and wondered what you was there for? Yeah, they, they say that's a sign of old age, but let me, let me tell you what I also, it's also a sign of stress. It can be a sign of just simply uh, things happening in our lives, ordinary things sometimes that just kind of get out of the ordinary and we find ourselves stressed out and tired. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to look at a story where God has a tremendous servant of God that he uses in mighty ways but he finds himself in a very awkward position and a very strange place. I want to pick up in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 4. Then he, talking about Elijah, he traveled through the wilderness for a day. He sat down under a broom plant, and he wanted to die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down and he slept under the broom plant. And an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. When he looked, he saw near his head some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate, drank, went to sleep again. The angel of the Lord came back and woke him up again. 
The angel said, get up and eat or your journey will be too much for you. He got up and he ate and he drank, strengthened. Everybody say strengthened. He was strengthened by that food. He traveled for 40 days and nights until he came to Hermon, the Mount of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Then the Lord spoke his word to Elijah. He asked, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, Elijah is a lot like us. I won't read it to you. I kind of paraphrase this, but Elijah has a quick response for the Lord. And in, in, in Elijah begins to point, now what's it? He begins to point to his own personal efforts and in, in maybe even pointing to his prevailing pride or fear that's in his life. Because when God asks, Elijah, what are you doing here? And immediately Elijah responds, well, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. All the sons of Israel, they forgot, they've forsaken your covenant. They've tore down your altars. They killed your prophets with a sword. Now, what's that? I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Upon hearing these words, God spoke to Elijah, and he said, go stand on the mountain before the Lord. And when Elijah went out of the cave, he stood. The Bible said God sent a great wind. Then there was an earthquake, and then there was a fire. But then the Bible says that God wasn't in the wind. God wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. Now, it doesn't mean that God wasn't in it. It just means that God wasn't in it. Okay? You know, everything that happens is, is either God sent or God permitted. Understand that, right? So, so it isn't that God isn't in the wind, it, because oftentimes God shows up as a wind. It isn't that God isn't in the earthquake or the fire. Ultimately, what is not in it is his purpose or his direction for Elijah. And after everything settled down, Elijah steps out of the cave, and God asks him again with a still, small voice, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now watch this, after all this manifestation, God speaks to Elijah, and Elijah gives the same answer, like, okay, God, you, you, not, you didn't hear me? I mean, they tore down your altars, and, and they forsaken your covenant, and they killed all your prophets, and I'm the only one that's left. It's just me. I'm the only one, God. You ever felt that way sometimes? Oh, I'm the only one really doing the right thing. I'm the only one really, really in my family is even trying to do halfway right. Elijah is trying to tell God something that he doesn't know. Now, remember we've said this all along, that when God asks us a question, it isn't that God doesn't know the answer. God asks us a question, why? Because he wants to bring us to his purpose, and he wants us to stop and reflect on what he's asking so we can reflect on what is the real answer to this. So when Elijah responds the second time to why he's there, then God gives him some instructions. He said, I want you to go, and I want you to go back the same way you came. Now, what's this? He said, there's two kings you need to anoint, Hazel and Jehu. I want you to anoint them to be king. And Elisha, you're going to find this young guy, Elisha. He is going to be anointed. He's going to be your successor. 
And then the final words to this, to this lonely prophet, he reminds Elijah. He said, okay, Elijah, you think you're the only one here? I've got 7,000 in Israel that still hasn't bowed down a knee to Baal yet. <laughs> you're not the only one in Israel. I've still got people who've worshipped in me. I've still got people who follow me. Elijah, you are not alone. Now what's this. How in the world did Elijah get to this place where God is having to ask him twice the same question, what are you doing here? Now, now, if you know much about this story, Elijah has just come off one of the greatest expeditions of God's power that, that many people declare that ever happened in the Old Testament. Elijah himself had prophesied that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years, and it didn't rain. God sent Elijah down to a little brook called Cherith, and he kept him for three and a half years. He fed him for three years, and then after the three years, the brook dried up. He sent him to a widow woman's house. She takes care of him, and now Elijah goes up on the mountain. He stands before all the prophets of Baal, 850 prophets of Baal. They dig a, they dig a trench around the altar, and the God of heaven answers by fire and, and kills all of the prophets, laps up all of the water, and Elijah stands there totally victorious. Yes, God did it. And yet as soon as this happened, Elijah finds himself running away and sitting under a tree wanting to die. Now, what's this? Here's what I want you to get out of this story, the very first thing. God doesn't get upset with Elijah. God doesn't say, okay, boy, you're done. I'm finished with you. You might as well just give up, die, go, and, 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 and let your life in. Listen, what, what I love about God, that, that God doesn't allow him to stay in that moment. Well, what he does do, he responds by what? Providing three things that Elijah needed at that moment. He needed rest because he'd been running on adrenaline. He needed some food and he needed some water. And lo and behold, God sends an angel to allow him to sleep and to eat and get some nourishment. Now watch this. God doesn't send an angel to Elijah when he's up on Mount Carmel. God doesn't send an angel to Elijah when he's standing there going up against 850 prophets of Baal and he's standing there and he's a mighty man of faith and he's standing there declaring. God doesn't send an angel. God sends an angel when he's sitting under a tree wanting to die. Now what's this? I'm encouraged time and time again throughout the word of God of God's patience with us. Aren't you glad that God doesn't give up on you? Aren't you glad that in spite of everything that God does for us sometimes, sometimes we find ourselves feeling like it's not enough. It's not enough. Why ain't you doing more? But in the midst of Elijah feeling like this, somehow or another, that God was letting him down, God is patient with Elijah. And he simply asked him a question, what are you doing here? Now watch this. There's no voice in the rushing wind. There's no vision given to Elijah in the fire. There's nothing happening from the rumble of the depths of the earth in the earthquake. God remains silent and invisible during all of these mighty demonstrations. 
And when finally God speaks, he asks him the very same question, but he asks him in a still, small voice, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? What is he asking Elijah? Now, watch this. Here's what I think Elijah is, is struggling with right now. I think God is reminding Elijah, I put this in your notes. Elijah, I know you believe in my power, but you have a problem trusting my faithfulness. Elijah, I know you believe in my mighty demonstrations that I can do. But right now, Jezebel has sent a letter to you, and you are more focused upon what she said, and you've taken your attention off of me. You have no problem believing in my miracles and my power, but you have a problem trusting my faithfulness. You see, God knew that Elijah didn't know what he knows. You see, God knew that Elijah didn't know what the king of kings and lord of lords know. And listen, the heart of the question that God is asking is, where's your faith? Is your faith in the mountain? Is your faith in the miraculous signs that you saw demonstrated? Or is your faith in me? Is your faith in my voice and my word? I know you believe in my power, Elijah, but I think you have a problem trusting my faith. You see, I, I think so oftentimes we, we don't understand how faith and belief are, are, are two parts of one whole. They're, they're, they're separate, and yet they're, they're one. And we have a tendency sometimes of either living over here in the belief area or living here in the faith area. When God says there's time, you have to, you have to live in the belief zone, but there's times also you have to live in the faith zone. So what's the difference? I wrote this in your know, note. Belief focuses on the power, the signs, the miracles of God, while faith focuses on God's sovereignty, his authority, and his faithfulness. You see, I don't think Elijah was struggling with his belief factor. Because listen, he knew the history of God. He, he knew the history of Israel with God. He knew how God had performed miracle after miracle after miracle with the entire nation of Israel. He, he let them cross over the Red Sea. He took care of them 40 years time and time again. Elijah knew the stories of Israel's history that God had been faithful. And he himself, just a few days later, had, a few days earlier, had seen the miraculous powers and miracles of God. It was his faith that come into question. It wasn't his belief, do, I, do you believe in my miracles? It was his faith. He had turned his faith where he trusted more in Jezebel's authority than he did God's authority. Oh, I like that. You see, at the end of, the, at the end of this, this conversation, God calls Elijah to leave this mountain, hide away, and simply go and instruct and, and do what I've asked you to do. Anoint these kings and find Elijah. I'm not through with you yet, but now, listen, it isn't about my belief or it isn't about my miracles and my powers and your belief. It's about will you trust my faithfulness? Will you hold on to me and believe that even though you might not see the miraculous at this moment, but you've got to trust my sovereignty. I know what the future holds. Are you with me? See, that's where we're at sometimes. 
We, we, whoa, Pastor Phil, I tell you what, I wish, I wish we could see more signs and wonders and miracles. Man, if that would happen. Listen, if signs and wonders and miracles would turn people's heart to Jesus Christ, then there should have been no unbelievers in Jesus' day. Because Jesus walked around and he opened the blind eyes, he raised the dead, he cleansed the leper, he did miracle after miracle after miracle, yet there were still people who did not trust him. Miracles are things that people will seek after and run after. Mark 16 to 17 said, the signs and wonders will follow believers. He didn't say believers are supposed to follow signs and wonders. Well, good preaching. I wish I was at full throttle. I'd beat my horn right now. Beep, beep. For those of you that don't know at full throttle, I got a pulpit. looks like a motorcycle, and I got my own horn, so I can toot it when I feel like I'm doing a good job. So I literally toot my own horn. Okay, but watch this. Elijah, you, you have a, your, your belief is good. Your faith is, is lacking. You're struggling. You're wanting to die. You're running away from a lady that sent you a letter saying, I'm going to kill you. So, so here's the question. What brought Elijah to this point? First of all, write this down. I think Elijah wasn't thinking clearly. His emotions was getting the best of him. He was allowing his, his difficulties to be magnified. And in this moment, after a great miracle of God, he, he, God was forgotten temporarily. Elijah had all this kind of stinking thinking going on. And listen, how many understand that stinking thinking always gets you in trouble? Somebody wrote a good book about that. Maybe you could find it and see if you can read it. <laughs> Paul said, that's the reason why Paul said in Philippians 4 and 8, he said, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, he said, whatever is praiseworthy, he said, you have to think about these things. Elijah's thoughts had been taken away from God, and now he was focusing upon what Jezebel was saying she was going to. He had just fought 850 prophets and won the battle. You don't think God can take care of one wacky woman? Elijah didn't. Oh, this woman's way too big for God. No wonder Proverbs 23 and 7 says, as we think in our hearts, so are we. It's, it's undisputable, uh, you know, who, who actually is the source of this, but there's a quote that says, we have to watch our thoughts because they become our words. We have to watch our words. They become our actions. We watch our actions because they become our habits. We have to watch our habits because it becomes our character, and we have to watch our character because it will lead us to our destiny. But it all starts with our thoughts. Listen, if you're watching an hour of news every day and only reading the Bible for five or ten minutes a day, no wonder you're so full of fear. Say, oh, me or amen or something, okay? I mean, that's... You know exactly what I'm talking about. You cannot watch an hour of Fox or CNN or MSNBC, whatever, and you cannot watch an hour or two of that stuff and only spend about five or ten minutes in this book without your heart being filled with fear today. The sky is falling. Everything's crumbling. This is bad. That's bad. The balloon, this, that. Listen, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing by the word, Romans 10 and 17. But I submit to you, fear comes by hearing the words of the world. 
Well, good preaching, Pastor Phil. Elijah had this stinking thinking going on. Secondly, he's isolated himself. Remember how I told you that he ran 40 days, and then he, he goes another day into the wilderness. He leaves his servant, and, and, and Elijah has this, has this syndrome of I'm the only one left. Now, what's this? It's a safe bet that Elijah wasn't just feeling lonely. He was downright alone. See, there's a difference in feeling lonely and, and feeling alone. You, 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 you can feel lonely and be and have people around you and you still navigate conversations. You ever, you ever been in a conversation, everybody's talking, and you don't feel like you're connected, you kind of feel alone, but you can still carry on conversations, right? But when you feel alone, you feel like nobody understands me, nobody's going through what I'm going through. When Elijah went and hid himself, and God asked him, Elijah, what are you doing here? It's a great question because, listen, it's dealing with what he was feeling. It's his emotions. He's isolated himself to the point he's cut himself off from people, and now he's trying to cut himself off from God. God, just let me die. This dude is depressed. He's isolated and listen, he doesn't understand, and so many times we don't understand when we get in circumstances and situations in our life that seems bigger than us. I don't care what God has done in your past. If you get in a situation and a circumstance that seems bigger than you like Elijah was in, if you isolate yourself, you're always going to feel like, I'll never get through this. I'll never make it. I, I am doomed to die in this mess. We were not designed to go through life alone. You understand that? We were designed to know him and to know other people. We are healthier when we have others walking with us. And yet everybody in this room knows what it is, for the enemy loves to get you alone where we begin to believe the lies of the enemy that somehow or another that we are unlovable, that we are no more valuable, and this is where Elijah felt like. He felt like his ministry was coming to an end. God said, I'm just going to shift your ministry. You're not done. He feels that way, but he's not. That's the reason why the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4, 9, two are better than one, for if they fall, one will lift up his companion. That's the reason why we tell you all the time, you got to get in a small group. you got to get in a serving in a community. You need a community believer. You cannot just come to church and sit and worship and just have that experience. That experience is good, and I'm glad you're having it, but you need people to walk with you. You need people to work with you. You need people to weep with you sometimes, and you need people to rejoice with you sometimes. Because we cannot make it by ourselves. We are too susceptible to the lies of the enemy. And Elijah's that way. He's got this stinking thinking going on. He's isolated himself. And, and thirdly, he failed to realize that after a great victory often comes a great trial. Again, he had just battled the gods, the, the, the gods of Baal. 
and the Lord had won. The rainstorm is coming. The drought has ended, confirming the word of the prophet. Elijah's been running on all this adrenaline. And then he gets this letter from Jezebel and says, I'm going to kill you. By this time tomorrow, you are dead. So now he's thinking, oh, my Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm more focused on what she's saying. I forget about my miracles. I know God can do miracles, but will I have faith right now to trust the sovereignty of God and the faithfulness of God to get me through the next phase of my life? I like what James in the New Testament says here. This is a very, very difficult verse in the Bible. This is from uh, the J.P. JBP version. He says this, when all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resent them as intruders, <laughs> but welcome them as friends. <laughs> are you kidding me, James? What are you smoking? Okay. And then he says, realize that these trials and temptations realize that they've come to test your faith and to produce in you the quality of endurance. <laughs> now listen, every one of us in this room, if we're being honest with ourselves, we had rather to have trouble-free lives. Come on, anybody here just want to, oh, I love Jesus and I'm in church. And man, I tell you, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. And it's just so wonderful, Pastor Phil. I never have a problem. My wife just greets me every morning like I'm an angelic being. And how she can serve me and my kids bow down. And I walk in the room and, and I walk into work and they just all applaud because they can see the Shekinah glory upon my face. Oh, hallelujah. We know that ain't true, right? We know it's not true. Yet there are people that want to believe that. They want to believe that I can live a temptation-free life. Hey, pastor, pray for me that I can get a job where there's no temptation. Are you ready to be buried? Because you've got to die before there's no temptation. You're what your temptation is. You know, saying Christians, Christ followers, we're like tea bags. You, you don't really know what's inside of us until we get put in hot water. <laughs> it's those adverse circumstances that brings out what's really inside of us. Listen, James says our faith grows stronger through testing. So don't present these trials and temptation and don't that try to crowd in your life. Don't, don't look at them as intruders but welcome them as friends. That's not my typical response. Is it yours? Oh, I have a trial today. Welcome, friend. All my heartache, all my disappointment, I've got a battle with today. Oh, it's just a, such a... No, it's not. But listen, if I understand what God is doing... My first instinct is just to do like Elijah. When I, when I get bad news, I want to run. I want to get away from the bad news. Or if you don't run away, you find yourself presenting it. It's kind of like that we're all the Winnie, like, like characters in, in Winnie the Pooh, okay? I'm very spiritual. I just, this is where I get some of my thoughts. Piglet, the character, Miss the Piglet is the worrywart. 
who's always fearful of what to do when problems arise. They just she, uh, Eroy, the pessimist, who can only see how things won't work out. Come on, you got anybody like that? Or the rabbit, the rabbit's a control freak who tries to fix everything and everybody around him. Tigger, the spontaneous, carefree soul who is on this constant emotional roller coaster. You don't know where Tigger's going to be. And Raul, the naive optimist who, who is, obvious, is often oblivious to what's happening around. Listen, th- this is not a Winnie Pooh show that we're in, folks. You, you, you and I can't afford to, to just to be oblivious to what's happening or we can't ignore to, to be a pessimist to see the worst or, or try to control everything that you and I have to understand that James offers us a different response to adversity that will enable us, what, to grow. To, he said, I want you to realize, change your perspective that these things come, what to do, to test your faith and to produce a quality inside of us called endurance. God designs these pressures of life. Why? To develop our faith, to make it stronger. And listen, if, 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 if I will cooperate, if you and I will cooperate with this process, you know what happens to us? We mature. We develop. It shapes our character to be more like Jesus. It doesn't always make the pressures go away. But, but he comes along beside us, and, and, and he helps us navigate those situations to the point, yeah, I'm over here, I'm believing for miracles and signs and wonders, but when I don't see them, I'm not going to run away, I'm not going to resent, I'm going to stand, and I'm going to have a faith that trusts in the sovereignty and the faithfulness of God. God, you are still in control of my life. You understand that? That's what God is trying to get Elijah to do. Stop thinking so poorly. You've isolated yourself. You forget how the trials and things happen to develop our faith. So God sends this angel to him. And then God speaks in that still small voice. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Why are you here today? Why are you here at this moment in your life? Finally, Elijah came to his senses, and when he left this cave, he got back to serving the Lord. His whole ministry was going to change. Elijah wouldn't be in the limelight so much. He, he, it wouldn't be Elijah's miracle, but he would anoint these two kings, and he would find this young guy by the, by the name of Elijah that's plowing his, his, his oxen, and Elijah goes by and touches him with his mantle, and, and Elijah leaves his oxen and starts following on Elijah, and when Elijah gets tread, listen, Elijah one day, he just walking along, and I, I, now he's just trusting the sovereignty of God. He's believing in God. He's not seeing as many miracles, but it doesn't matter. I'm okay, God. I love your miracles when they happen, but now I trust your faithfulness. And Elijah's walking one day and he told Elijah, he said, Elijah, if you see me when I go, you're going to get my mantle. And Elijah got the mantle of Elijah that Elisha did twice the miracles that Elijah ever did. And Elijah just gets transported right into heaven one day. And horses and chariots of fire just come down and pickle. This is the same guy that was sitting under the Jupiter tree wanting to die. You follow me? It's the same God that, that has said, I'm the only one God. There's nobody else. It didn't matter. 
He learned how to trust the faithfulness of God. And what I love about this story, when you pop in the New Testament in James chapter 5, the Bible said this in verse 16, the urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. And it says that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was a man like us. It's the reason why we can relate to his feeling of depression, discouragement, despondency. We, that's the reason why we can relate. He was a man just like us. That sometimes when we put ourselves on a line and we step out and, and we believe for the great things of God, they happen. And the other time, God doesn't come down and give us the miracles, but that's when you step in with your faith and you start trusting and walking with the faithfulness and the sovereignty of I love that. Listen, most of us in this room understand there's all kinds of stress in this world. There's all kinds of circumstances and situations in our lives that we're, that we're faced with. So what, what can we learn real quickly? So what do we learn from Elijah? The, the, the question is, what are you doing here? So here's, here's what Elijah teaches me. Number one, oftentimes we can have the problem of our expectations. The first lesson that I learned from reading Elijah's response is concerning his expectations and the impact his expectations had on him. I already mentioned he was expecting something different. He went up on the mountain. He stood against 850 prophets of Baal. Fire came down from heaven. Everybody saw that God alone was truly God. He consumed all the sacrifice, killed 850 prophets. And Elijah thought by now there would just be this massive revival in the nation of Israel. Everybody would be coming together singing, Kumbaya, we love God. Kumbaya. It wasn't happening. There was no mass revival. Now, there were 7,000 people in Israel that hadn't given up yet, but there wasn't this great big revival of everybody turning back to God. And Elijah expected it to happen. And listen, here's the problem. The problem with our expectations is that sometimes our expectations become our entitlement. Life is full of disappointments sometimes if we're not extremely careful. Our expectations of what God should do and how he should do it can derail us, and all of a sudden it can become a demand upon our hearts to the point that we think we're entitled. Now you probably have never heard, heard anybody pray a prayer like this, but they're in trouble. They're having problems. They've been to church all their lives. They've given money. They've, they've supported mission. And now they've got something going on. And they go to God and they say, God, after all I've done for you, oh, God, I've been so faithful to you. I've done everything you've asked me to do. My expectations turns into entitlement. I not only expect God to do another miracle, I feel entitled that he ought to do that. You see, 1 Corinthians 13 and 7 says, love believes all things, hopes all things, 
But it also says love bears all things and endures all things. You see, I'm all for believing and hoping, but also, you know what, love? Real genuine love, that agape love that Pastor Matt preached about last week, that agape love that you and I develop in our, in our walk with Jesus Christ is not only believing all things and hoping all things, we are bearing all things and we are enduring all. See, I know what it is to have my expectations turn into an entitlement, that they become a demand of my heart because of who I am. Forty-five years ago when Sunshine was born, I told this story at Full Throttle Thursday night. Forty-five years ago when we found out we have this daughter that is, that is a Mongoloid child that was called the later Down Syndrome. She, she, she's got all these issues. We were in revival. We were traveling 70, 80 nights in a row preaching the gospel, singing our lungs out. And every night after revival service and everybody would go home, we would bring our little baby and lay her on the altar. Whatever church we were at, we would lay her on the altar and we would pray and we would beg God, God, give us a miracle, straighten her eyes out, fix her tongue, heal her heart, do all those things that needs to be done so she's not Down syndrome anymore. We did that for weeks. And there was times when I started out saying, God, I know the miracles. I've seen the miracles. I've, you've healed me. I've seen you healed others. But then after weeks gone by and nothing was happening, our expectations turned into entitlement. God, I deserve this miracle. I'm preaching the gospel. I'm traveling. I've left houses, land, fathers, mothers, brothers, and sisters. We're living in a 25-foot travel trailer. We're giving you everything. We deserve this miracle. Didn't happen. No miracle. Heart got worse. She couldn't walk across a, 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 a six-foot trailer we were living in seven foot wide without turning blue and passing out. But it's during those times, Rhonda and I said, God, if no miracle happens, we trust your sovereignty. We trust your faithfulness. You are, every good gift comes from above. God, every good gift. We don't see the good right now. We don't feel the good right now. But we trust that out of all of this mess, that there's going to be goodness that comes out. See, folks, listen. It's okay to have great expectations. Again, I took, this is a balcony church. We're going to pray for miracles. We're going to believe for miracles. We're going to see miracles. But when those miracles don't happen, your belief has got to Way and it's got to measure the same amount when it comes to your faith. You say, God, even when there's no miracles, I trust your sovereignty. I trust your faithfulness. God is the only one. God is sovereign. God was seeing what Elijah could not see. Elijah wasn't done. This wasn't the end for this man. He was, his, his destiny wasn't to die underneath this Jupiter, Jupiter tree alone. No, remember I told you a while ago, he's going to be walking down the road one day, and this host of angels, chariot of angels, is going to come down from heaven, and they're going to escort Elijah right into the throne room with God. 
Our miracle didn't happen, but oh, we've seen miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle happen. The miracle wasn't so much in her as it was in us. You see, like it happens sometimes. The miracle comes not so much in, in, in who we're praying for or what we're praying for, but our expectations can easily slip into a sense of entitlement and demanding that things work out the way we think they should work out. And when that happens, we're always upsetting the authority of God himself. When we focus on our expectations and when we make the results that we want as a source, now listen, when we make the results that I want as the source of my happiness or my security or my significance, God, I can only be happy if you do this. God, I can only feel significant if you do God, I can only feel like, you know, that, that, that somehow or another that I have security if you do that. When, when, when we make the results that we want, the, the source of those things, we end up with the Elijah syndrome. Fearful, running away, engulfed in our feelings of failure, depressed, and totally frustrated. Elijah learned how to surrender to God. And that's where it's at, folks. Listen, it's where it's at with surrender. So, so the second thing, it's quiet, but that's good. It's okay. I can encourage myself. I can. The problem of our focus now watch this. Elijah knew Jezebel had a reputation. She had a character of being mean and wicked. She was a brutal queen. So now he's disappointed over his expectation. Things wasn't happening the way he thought should happen. And now his focus changes and he's focusing upon the queen. He's focused upon her military might rather than the belief of God and his power that he's already seen happen. His belief that she would be so persistent in her intentions of killing him. Listen, it, it led him to the point that, that he lost his focus away from the power and the presence. That's the reason the Bible says in, in, in 2 Corinthians 5 and 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Listen, we are saved by faith. We live by faith. We walk by faith. We have to die by faith. That doesn't mean we ignore the problems. It doesn't mean we stick our heads in the sand. Listen, listen, what we do simply is that we stay focused upon God. We say, listen, are we, are we going to let the last word be what the doctor says? Are we going to let the report be what the, what the doctor has reported? Or will we say, okay, this is what the world is saying, but what is God telling me? What is God speaking to me in my prayer closet? What's the word of the Lord that I can go on in this situation? It's what it comes down to. Am I going to trust the word of the Lord? Am I going to believe his promises, even though when it's not coming in the wind or the fire or the earthquake, am I good enough to walk by faith with his still, small voice speaking in my life? See, the law of faith. We, we, we are called to live by the law of faith. We don't live by the law of this world. We live by the law of faith. 
And listen, the law of faith says nothing is impossible for those who believe. The law of faith says all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. The law of faith said his angels surround me to protect me. The law of faith said Jesus saved me. The Spirit guides me and the Father adores me. That's the law of faith. The, listen, listen, the law of faith, uh, listen, the law of faith is what it says that humility is what promotes me. Faith empowers me. Joy fills me. His righteousness shields me. And his power is what heals me. That's the law of faith. Listen, the law of faith says I have a heavenly hope. I have a divine destiny. I have a timeless legacy. My, my inheritance is secure, and my children are favored by God. That's the law of faith that we live by. That's what we put our trust in. That's what we have to focus on in the times of troubles and difficulties in our life. Do you believe that, church? Elijah had lost his focus. He allowed himself to be consumed. And then thirdly, one last thing. Come, Pastor Lynn. The problem of our strategies. Now, please get this. This is, everything I've said is important. But the, the problem with Elijah getting to this point, wanting to die, thinking God was through with him, lied in the strategy that he took. Because again, when you go back and read the story, the text tells us that Elijah fled to Beersheba, which is away to the south. Beersheba was a desert place, but he leaves his servant there and then he goes another full day's journey into the wilderness where he seeks shelter by this bush, this, 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 this scrubby bush, this Jupiter tree. It's about 10 or 12 feet high, most theologians. It, it gave him some shelter. The problem isn't in any of that. The problem is in all of that. Elijah is never called upon the Lord. He's never sought direction from God. It wasn't what he did. It's that he did it without God giving. Listen, God had given Elijah direction all of his life. When Elijah appears on the scene, God said, Elijah, prophesied that it won't rain for three and a half years. He stood up and prophesied. As soon as it drought hit, he said, Elijah, go down to Brook Carrier and sit down by the brook. He stayed there for three years. The brook dried up. He said, Elijah, get on down to Zephyr, the, the widow woman's house. I'm going to provide to you. Once that, I mean, time and time again, God has given Elijah direction. But now he's lost his focus. He's found himself to the point that he's having a strategy that doesn't involve God. The problem wasn't that he arose and even that he ran to the desert. The problem was he did it without God's direction. He did it without saying, God, you're my provider. Now listen, I know that there's some things in our lives that we don't need divine intervention and direction over. If I'm standing out on the highway and I see an 18-wheeler coming down the road, I don't say, now, Lord Jesus, 
Now, if you want me to survive this, I need you to speak to me today. Show me a sign. Give me a sign, Lord, that I should step off the highway. No. Common sense tells me if I want to survive another day, I'm going to step out of the way of this 18 really coming down the highway. Come on, somebody say amen. The problem wasn't what he did. The problem was he did it without getting counsel from God. There's a great story. Just, just write down 2 Chronicles 16 and 12. I don't have time to get, give you all of this. But the Bible says in the 39th year that Asa was king, he was crippled by a severe foot disease, probably gout. Eat the wrong things. Pastor Matt, learn from that. But even then, now watch this. He was crippled by severe foot disease, but even then he did not turn to the Lord for help, but to doctors. Now, when you read that, you, you know, some people say, well, God, God doesn't want us to go to a doctor. No, Asa's sin wasn't that he sought help from the physicians or the doctors. The, the sin of Asa, uh, uh, Asa was that he excluded God in the process. You follow me? It wasn't that what he did is how he did it. He did it without having God direction. He excluded God. Elijah's situation wasn't different. Listen, he was reacting to the circumstances around him rather than responding to God. That's how what we do, isn't it? Oh, I believe in miracles and powers and signs and wonders, but when it doesn't happen, will you have the faith to say, God, I'm going to trust your sovereignty. I'm going I'm to trust your faithfulness in this. No, so often we react to our circumstances rather than responding by faith to the Lord. Listen, in 1999, everybody was talking about the year 2000, Y2K. Anybody remember Y2K? Oh, it's going to be horrible, terrible, Y2K. Computers quit. Monetary system is going to ride. I'm a mighty man of faith in 1999. I've been at a church for almost four years. We grew this little church to 20 people. We built a brand new worship center. It was in a little small community. And, and we, we had done well running a couple hundred people. But, but I felt like the Lord had released me from that church, 1999. And I told Ron, I said, I feel like the next place that God sends us is going to be our forever place. It's going to be our place where we go and we plant. We raise our kids. We live out our ministry. The vision that God has put inside of me it's going to be a place where we're celebrated and not just tolerated. But Y2K is coming, okay? 2000. So when we left that church in the middle of 1999, we had resumes out, and it was getting to be uh, July, August, and we really hadn't landed nowhere. And I went to run, I said, honey, I just feel like we need to get somewhere. We need to get saddled. We don't need to be caught in limbo. 1999, 2000, Y2K. I, I, I want to be in a secure place. I want to be. I'm a mighty man of faith. But I was focusing on Y2K. 
So we got a call from a church. It's, it's further down south. It's in the Gulf. And we go down there. We preach a couple weeks. And, and uh, you know, they respond well. And they, they call us for a vote. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're there. And Rhonda said, I don't know, Phil. I just, I just feel like we ought to be patient. No, no, no. Y2K, we got to get somewhere. We got to get saddle. I'm mighty mad at faith. So we go there that night, Glenn, and we preach, and they vote on us. And when the, when the uh, chairman of the board comes back to, to give us the vote, we're all in the room. Matt, my kids, Amber, Sunshine, Rhonda, we're all there, you know. And, and the, the chairman of the board comes out and said, hey, Pastor Phil, it's like good news. The church voted you in. But they had, some of them think you preach too long. They think you preach too loud. You dress real funny. And, uh, they, they, but they, they want you to be their pastor. And Rhonda's in the background saying, and Matt's over just crying. Oh, what he's crying about. He's gonna go to college and leave us anyway. We had to pray him back. And uh, but you know, I hear all of that. Do you know what I was focusing on? What what was I focusing on? Y2K. Gotta get somewhere. Oh, we did. And we stayed for 18 months, and man, we fought battle after battle for 18 months. It was tough. Y2K come. God was still God. He was still in control. Finances didn't clap. My Radio Shack computer didn't stop working. Because some of you don't even know what Radio Shack was. That's how far along it's been, right? Come on. Well, what was that? It's because, listen, so many times when we start reacting to circumstances rather than responding to God by faith, and then you know the story after 18 months there, lo and behold, we get moved and we plant up here forever place. The heart is here. Our vision's here. We get celebrated for the most of the time. Some of you tolerate me sometimes, but I love you for that. Thank you so much. But, but now, but in the midst of that, I didn't give up, okay? I thought God was going to work a miracle. I thought, you know, I was going to go in and every heart of the board was going to be changed and, and the church was going to have that kumbaya. We never had a kumbaya moment. It was every day when I got up to go to the altar, it was like I had to go to the pits of hell, okay? But I went. I went faithfully. And I preached every week and we sang and we did everything. But when we respond to God by faith, what about your expectations? What are you doing here? Where's your focus at the day? Pastor Phil, you don't know my report. You don't know. Listen, I'm not saying deny the report, but I'm saying whose report are you going to believe? God's bigger. That's ultimately where we got to live our lives in, in 2023 and the 21st century. Ultimately, we got to live our lives that God is bigger. Well, you know where we're going to go if they, if they do this and if this attack, and what if this balloon? Listen, God is bigger. If something happens, 
just like Elijah kept staying faithful to God, going back, doing what he asked him to do. Listen, you and I are not responsible for the results. We are just responsible to stay faithful to what God's asked us to do. And Elijah's being faithful to God, and he's walking one day, and the chariots of fire and the horsemen swing down and pick him up. I still believe in a catching away, a rapture of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I still believe we got hope in this world. We're not going to go down one day, but we're going to be going up. Come on. Somebody help me here this morning. Our future is bright. Why? Because the Lord is in charge. Come on. Stand to your feet and give the Lord a hand clap. He is a good God. Westville, North Judson, Watertown, Hebron. I know you believe in my power. But are you having a problem trusting his faithfulness? I know you believe in my power, but are you having a problem trusting his faithfulness? Oh, we believe for miracles. We're going to pray for miracles. We're going to position ourselves to receive miracles. But greater than that is that we want a belief system to the point that when the miracles don't happen the way we think they should happen, that we walk out our faith and not grow weary in well-doing. Come on, you believe that? I'm stronger in my faith today, believing for a miracle for sunshine. It, it may not happen on this world. Ron and I was talking the other day, and I just, just let you in my world one more minute. We was talking the other day. I said, you know what? We get to heaven. The Bible says we're going to be known as we is known. And, you know, you know Matthew will probably look like Matthew and Amber look like Amber. But what, what difference is sunshine going to be a little bit different with, with her eyes not slanted and, and her speech impediment not there? Makes me want to just keep on walking, Paul, not give up. Some of you are going through some things right now. Listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to belittle what you're going through. Listen, and I want to stand and I want to believe with you for miracles in your life. If it's physical, if it's relational, if it's financial, whatever it is. But in spite of that, if your miracle doesn't happen the way you think it should happen, I want you to be in a church where your faith can hold on and you can be strong and you can endure. And we know that one day God will reward our faithfulness to him and we will enter the presence and the glory of the Lord. He said, come on home. Well done. Good and thankful servant. Come on. Somebody give him praise this morning. Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at Pastor Phil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.